Well, I love, I love uh, being able to laugh at ourselves a little bit here in, in, in church world. And uh, some of the lines there, from, from an early age, I just felt like I had a natural ability to justify how I wanted to live. Oh, isn't that so good? Don't, don't we all wish for that? And then justification studies involves the use of scriptures taken out of context, creating forced situations, over-relying on feelings and other methods to reach conclusions that may be inconsistent with or in some cases completely opposed to clear biblical teaching. Holy smokes. Uh, I was talking to Derek between uh, Derek Murphy, who's our uh, Life Together guy, and he, he was saying, you know... Um, uh, John Maxwell says, we, we have uphill aspirations and downhill habits. And somehow we've got to make those two things be the same, right? Uh, and th- therein lies the struggle of being human. You know, you think about it in, in, your, in your regular daily life, you know, we all want to be in great shape, uh, but we don't want to work out or go to bed or eat right, you know? It's so funny, last week my... my um, we, we had a membership at, at Murray, uh, just Park Center, and I'd work out there, and it, you know, the, um, it was a year-long deal, and it ended, so I'm like, hmm, maybe I'm done working out, which <laughs> felt really good for a minute, actually, but I, I didn't stop. But anyway, um, it, it's, it, so there, that's sort of the struggle of being humanity. You think about this, we, you know, we want to have great relationships, but we don't want to stop doing the things that are wrecking our relationships, Right? We want to have a great retirement, but I don't want to stop spending all my money and I don't want to save. Right? And then we, you know, we want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, but we just want to tell him where we'll follow him. Right? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm Mike Rutledge. I'm uh, the director of arts and one of the teachers here at K2. And we're in a series that we're calling All In-ish. And uh, I, I think that today I want to focus on what I perceive as a growing discrepancy between what it means to be an all-in, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and the way we actually practically live. And see if we can bridge that gap a little bit and come a little closer to what it really means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and how we can be all-in with him. And by the way, if you, let me see, if you did not get a three-by-five card, raise your hand. Let me see. If you didn't get a three-by-five card, I want you to make sure, do we have our greeters here? Can we make sure? You're going to need this at some point in the, in the, in the uh, service. So make sure you get a three-by-five card. Let me see your hands. Keep them up until you get one. And uh, you, don't, you don't need it right now, but I just want to make sure you've got one, okay? And uh, like I said, today we're, we're looking at the challenge that Jesus offers for us to be all in. And uh, last week, Dave talked about, if you were here, you heard him talking about um, all in on, on relationship and how as a follower of Jesus, we need to be connecting our lives with other believers, other people, and we need to live in the push and the pull of what a relationship looks like. Sometimes it's not so awesome, sometimes it's great, but being all in means we're loving each other and living in a relationship. Today, Though Jesus was very clear on his level of love for us, he was also very clear on the challenge that he put in front of us to call ourselves a disciple. And a disciple is really simple. It just means a follower of, someone who follows, right? Or a teacher. Uh, You know, I'm I'm, I'm learning from this teacher. He was really clear on that. And he wanted to, also, he wanted to help us understand the difference between being a fan and being 
a player in the game, right? And, you, you know, it, it's pretty easy to see the difference. The fan is sitting in the stand eating a hot dog. He may have the jersey and everything. He's not on the team, though, right? The player is the guy who, when no one's around, is running extra laps or doing whatever they need to do, right? Blood, sweat, and tears outside of that moment, working hard. And Jesus is really, the challenge he puts in front of us is for us to make sure that we're actually in the game playing, not in the stands watching everyone else, okay? And so uh, it's interesting, Jesus was very concerned. He did not want to develop a fan base. He didn't want fans. And he had a knack of attracting thousands of people at a time. Literally thousands upon thousands of people would come. And the reason they would come oftentimes, I actually, uh, I, wrote, I wrote a song on an album I did a, a few years back, and the song was called Bearded Lady Jesus. And I wrote, you've seen that, you've seen that picture of Jesus where he's kind of looking up and the light is perfect, and he's got the perfectly coiffed beard. And I, I wrote it about this because in that day and age, Jesus was treated by the masses as a circus sideshow. They would come, and they would want him to, hey, walk on water, turn it into wine. Uh, hey, maybe you can make this guy walk. And they were just enamored by his ability to do these miraculous things. But they weren't really following him. They just wanted to see the sideshow of the circus. And so Jesus didn't want fans. He wanted followers. And so he wanted us to understand, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, what it means to be a follower, not a fan. And as the arts team was preparing for this day, we came across a really cool uh, NPR broadcast uh, story and that talks, it just kind of demonstrates what happens with people when a challenge is put in front of them. I want you to take a, a little listen to this, if you would. When the massive earthquake rocked Mexico City yesterday, people ran out of swaying buildings to escape collapse and injury. One of them was freelance reporter Emily Green. She says there's one thing in particular that's sticking with her during the aftermath of this disaster. Generosity. The extraordinary generosity shown me as my world and everybody else's world was falling down around us was truly breathtaking. When the earthquake hit, I was on the phone interviewing the showrunner for the hit Netflix series Club de Cuervos. We didn't say goodbye. I said, I gotta go and started running down eight flights of stairs, barefoot, with glass windows shattering around me. When I finally made it outside, I started sobbing uncontrollably. A man I had never met, a tamale vendor, put his arms around me and hugged me for nearly a full minute before I collected myself. The next thing I knew, a woman was taking her shoes off and giving me her socks to protect my feet. I spent most of the afternoon wandering around disaster areas in no socks. I met one woman who was taking refuge in the park with her young children. She insisted that I eat the Mexican equivalent of a Twinkie. The sugar, she told me, would do me good. She was right. And then there were the various people who let me sit in their cars and charge my phone. That evening, I needed to reach the one place I knew had internet service. I saw a man on a motorcycle and asked him if he was headed in the direction I needed to go. He wasn't. Still, he took off his helmet, gave it to me, and for 30 minutes drove me through jam-packed streets to my destination. And when I thought people could not get any kinder, there was the security guard at the Reuters news agency office, where I had gone to file my story. 
She saw me limping, and in the middle of filing my story, insisted that I take off my shoes so she could clean my feet with alcohol and clean out the cuts. I have never lived through a massive natural disaster like this. I have heard stories of enormous kindness during such times, like when people risked their lives to rescue stranded residents during Hurricane Harvey. And I know in a crisis, people can be the worst or the best. I was lucky that here in Mexico City, I experienced the very best. For NPR News, I'm Emily Green in Mexico City. Such a great story that demonstrates how we step into challenge. I know uh, we just had a team uh, even last week uh, that went down to Houston that's still a mess down there and tried to help. You know, and, and, and the reality is this demonstrates uh, what happens in those times of challenge. The challenges in front of you, you step into it, and you do things that you wouldn't normally do on a regular day. I mean, when's the last time you offered to wash someone's feet or gave them your socks? See, what happens is when the challenge is there, we actually act a little bit differently. And in this case, she called it generosity. What it really was was other-centeredness. That, she's, that all of the people had a communal sense of caring for each other. It's a pretty beautiful thing. And so today, what I want to do is I want to look at a couple stories uh, that Jesus had, some interactions he had with his disciples and some other people that sort of demonstrate what the challenge he offered to us. And here's the key, not just in those significant moments of our lives, but in the everyday moments of our lives. How can we rise to a challenge on a regular basis? And Jesus wanted to spell that out, and that basically was what he called being a disciple. All right, And I want to look at a, this one passage. I kind of want to focus on this. It's in Matthew chapter 16, and it's most of the chapter. It starts around chapter 13, or verse 13 of that chapter. And uh, I, want to, I kind of want to hone in on this story where he sort of defines what discipleship, the challenge of discipleship is. And, uh, but before we even read it, I just want you to understand what's happening. Jesus and the disciples had sort of uh, gotten away. Now, he'd fed the 5,000 and masses of people. Again, that fan base was following around town. He decided he needed to get some time away with the disciples. And the purpose of that time away was so that he could have some dive deep conversations with them, you know, deeper level stuff that you can't, when everyone's around, you can't really get to that. So he says, let's pull away. Let's go off by ourselves and talk. And so they do that. And then he, he dives into an actual pretty significant uh, transformational Q&A time with Peter specifically. And if you know anything about Peter, one of the disciples, he was the speak first, act first voice of the 12 disciples, right? If something happened, Peter was always the one, he had the answers and he was the one that was going to you know, uh, be the voice of everyone. And so he has a Q&A with him, and then he tells them right after this significant conversation, which we'll talk about in a second, he says, now let me define for you what the cost of discipleship is. What is the challenge of being a disciple? All right? Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Then Jesus said to his disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Let me, that last statement, let me, let me explain what he's actually saying there. He's saying, let's put a realistic price tag on your soul and you get to define it. You decide what your soul is worth. If you gain the whole world, 
Would that be worth your soul? Or he's saying, or maybe there are things in this world that you're willing to sell this, your soul for. And here, here's, the, here's the bad part, guys. We all have a price tag on our soul. And for many of us, we've cheapened the price. We're giving it away. And Jesus says, I can't have that. I'm gonna, I want you to raise the bar and the expectation and the cost of your soul. And I'm going to tell you how to do that. And just what's really interesting, this was not a one-time uh, topic that Jesus addressed one time. This, this was sort of a recurring theme that he had with his disciples and many other, some of the fans. And it's really interesting. Uh, you see it in Matthew 10. You see it in Matthew uh, 8. You see it in Matthew uh, 7, these encounters. And when, when he's addressed with these uh, interactions with people, he says things like, hey, if you, if, unless you love me more than your family... You're not worthy to be my disciple. Wow. More than my family? <laughs> okay, that's a high price tag on your soul, isn't it? And then he, he, he says, uh, unless you're willing to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Unless you're willing to lose your life, you're not worthy to be my disciple. If you try and save your own soul, you're not worthy to be my disciple. It's interesting, in one interaction, a teacher of the law comes up to me and says, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere. Not one of his 12 disciples, but a different guy. And he says, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus says, okay, cool. I can just see the picture. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, so foxes have places to go. Birds have places to go. I don't have any place to lay my head. You want to come with me now? And the guy says, eh, well, I'm kind of, I like La Quinta inns. Do we, are we going to be staying in any of those? Nope. I don't have that. Guy says, no, I'm not going to follow you. Another interaction he has where this guy wants to follow him, and he, and, and he says, but, but Jesus, just let, me, just let me bury my dad first, okay? i got to bury my dad. Here's the, here's the little tricky one on this. There's no indication that his dad was sick or dead. What he's really saying is, I got some stuff that's more important than you right now. Eventually, I'm going to get with it. Is that cool? And Jesus says, no, it's not. The price tag is high. And he goes on another time. He says, just because you... Just because you wear the jersey, you know, you, bought, you went to the store fans and you bought the official licensed jersey, that doesn't put you on the team. And it says, a lot of people are going to call me Lord. That doesn't mean I'm actually their, their Lord. And you, you know when you have a recurrent, if you're a parent, you know this, right? Uh, I don't think it was necessarily Jesus like, just loved this topic, so he liked to talk about it a lot. I think when you have a recurring theme in your life, if you're a parent, you know, how come you have to repeat yourself to your kids? Is it because you just love talking about them cleaning up their room? Or is it because it's a pretty important thing, and for some reason, they're not hearing you? See, and that's what I believe is happening and why this is so, uh, such an important thing and why he keeps repeating himself. And he says, pretty, pretty, pretty simple, if you want to be my disciple... Here's what you need to do. And he sort of does this in an either-or list. He kind of says, do this or this. And whatever you do, whichever one you decide, is going to decide whether you want to be my disciple or not. He says, deny yourself or live for yourself. He says, take up your cross or ignore the cross. Follow Christ or follow the world. Lose your life for his sake or save your own life for your sake which is really interesting. The way I would say that one is basically view the resources and time, your finances, all that kind of stuff as a tool for God's kingdom or look at all that stuff to serve yourself. That's what he's saying there. Forsake the world 
or try and gain the world, which is really interesting. If you know Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can see that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, that's what we want, uphill aspiration, but you have to have a behavior that matches. We have to be renewing our mind to think differently and believing that his will is perfect for us. He says, keep your soul or lose your soul. Basically, these, this either or list can be divided into three categories that he says in, in chapter 16, verse 24. And they're, they're pretty simple. The first is this, deny yourself. He says, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. That's the first thing. And there are a couple of ways to look at this. The first uh, way to think of self-denial is uh, a- actually um, uh, personal self-denial, right? Like when you're on a diet, right, you have to be in self-denial. You, you, you have these cravings for things. You want sweets and sugar, or pretty much you want whatever you're giving up, right? And, and, and personal self-denial he's talking about is that you have to say no to the things that are going to wreck the trajectory that Jesus wants you to be on because of his perfect will, right? And it's very challenging because oftentimes as soon as you realize you can't have that, it's the very thing you want, right? And he's saying deny yourself so that you can stay on course. You see in Proverbs 14, 12, it says this, there's a way that seems right to a man, but you know where it leads? death. And he's saying, choose my will because my will leads to life. Yours leads to death. Deny yourself of those things that are going to kill you and rob you of the joy that you you, uh, get when you follow me. But the second half of denying yourself is like denying your own self-reliance. And and that that plays out kind of interestingly. Like, you need to understand that you cannot save your soul you can't even contribute to your own salvations. Ephes- salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, you're saved by grace through faith, not works. It's a gift from God. You can't boast about it. It's a gift. And we have to be able to go, I can't earn it. I can't work for it. I just receive it. And then after I receive it in response, I can act accordingly. Very important. It's funny, in the, uh, the K2 update, they said, because Jesus calls us to perfect, well... I don't know if he calls us living perfect, but he does call us to pursue him. You know, perfection's not getting you in heaven. Our behaviors are only responses to him. But so those the first thing is to deny yourself. Deny your self-reliance and deny that, that, that you've got to deny some of your cravings. But the second thing he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. And let me just quickly say this. I want to say this gently if you are in the habit of saying this. You'll hear people say, you know, well, that's just my cross to bear. Well, what, what, what cross is that? Well, I don't really have enough money to buy that, that TV yet. Not really... My, that's just my cross to bear. I, I went into this vocation, and it's not paying what I want. That's my cross to bear. Oh, my bum knee, that's my cross to bear. That's not at all what Jesus is talking about, okay? Your bad knee, that is a bummer. See a doctor, okay? You don't have the money you want? I don't know. Figure out better investment strategy, change job. I don't know. That's just not what he's talking about, okay? Let, 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 me, be, let, me, let me be clear. When he said, take up your cross, what the disciples heard, 
because it was a very pointed reference. And uh, maybe this was a little bit of a foreshadowing about the path that he was going to walk. But what he's talking about when he says, take up your cross, understand that 120 years prior to this, the Roman Empire had crucified 800 men. 800 people were physically crucified in that region 120 years prior to this encounter. And then you have, after Herod the Great died, there was a revolt. He had sort of divided, Herod the Great had decided he was going to divide the, the empire among three different groups. Well, that didn't go over so well. So there was a revolt that happened, and, and in that revolt, uh, they crucified 2,000 Jews. So when he's talking about taking your cross and bearing your cross, what he's actually saying is, Pick up the thing that you're willing to die for. That's what it means to follow me and take up the cross. And what's really interesting, when you were convicted and sentenced to a crucifixion, what the Roman Empire would do is they would make you carry your cross through town as a symbol to all others that the very thing you were opposing has now come under the submission of the Roman government. And so Jesus is using that kind of language. He's saying, take up your cross so that you understand you're going to choose your death. Do you want to die for the world or the things of the world? Do you want to die trying to save your own soul? Or do you want to die in a life of dedication to following me, being my disciple? So when he said that, he was very, very clear, and the disciples heard very clearly what he was talking about. And it wasn't pretty, and it wasn't easy. So deny yourself, take up your cross, and the third thing he says is, follow me. And I want to look at another interesting encounter he has with Peter. But you know what's interesting about following? Two things. Number one, you don't, if you're following, you don't get to choose where you're going, Right? And, and, and sometimes when you're following, you have to go to places you don't want to go. Because <laughs> you can't follow from the front of the line. That's called leading. And that's not being a disciple. And so it's really interesting, right before Jesus, in, in Matthew 16, 24, where he lays out very clearly what discipleship means, he has this very interesting interaction with Peter. And the interaction goes, goes like this. He says to Peter, hey, Peter, um, hey, listen, who do, who do people, you know, who, do, who, do, who are they saying? Who, who am I? You know, when you ask people, but, but, you know, what are, they, what are they saying I am? And uh, Peter says, well, you know, um, they say maybe you're John the Baptist or a prophet or, you know, maybe you're Elijah or, you know, something like that. And he's like, okay, how about you, Peter? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, he says, well, you're, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. He says, great, God revealed that to you, good, you're right. And then right after that, he says this to Peter. He says, from that time on, verse 21 of chapter 16, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised again. Okay, so he's like, okay, who do, who, who do they say I am? Who do you say I am? I'm the Messiah. Okay, let me tell you, since you're following me, disciple, let me tell you where we're going. Jerusalem, abuse, death. Cool? Peter is not a fan of that so much. His response is probably not 
the one you want to use next time you're faced with a decision like this. Peter's response is this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Okay, a couple things about this. So great that Peter had the foresight to not embarrass Jesus by taking him aside from the other 11 disciples to correct him, right? Wasn't that really gracious? <laughs> Maybe don't do that. Secondly, he began to rebuke him. What does rebuke mean? Criticize means to... Uh, correct the bad thinking you have, reprimand. So this is really cool. Jesus tells him where he's going, and Peter's like, oh, okay, we got to get this cleared up. You guys, you love and stay here. I'm going to go over here with Jesus. And he starts, he starts giving it to Jesus. That's not what's happening. Okay, well, this plays out poorly for, for Peter because Jesus' response to that is, Jesus turned to him, verse 23, and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind, the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. He's back to this original either-or list. See, I'm telling you where I'm going, and I'm telling you to follow me, Peter, and you're telling me, no, that's not where we're going. And Peter, you're just thinking about human things. You're actually acting like Satan. You're trying to oppose the very thing I'm telling you we need to do. Because when you follow, sometimes you have to go places you don't want to go. And that's the cost. It's hard. You know, it's interesting. I read this quote by uh, Theodore Roosevelt. He says this, There has never yet been a man who led a life of ease whose name is worth remembering. <laughs> never been a man who's led a life of ease whose name is worth remembering. And Jesus is saying, I want you to understand I'm bringing the bar here because this doesn't do anything for anyone. And so, uh, there's another great quote, uh, by the way, by Bill Hybels planted a church in Chicago. It's called Willow Creek. It's a very, very large church. It's been around for a long time. And he says it this way, total, complete dedication to Jesus Christ should be the norm for followers of Jesus. Anything else should be abnormal. Think about that. You know how you look around and you see the super Christians? You're like, oh, well, they're, they're just beyond. You know, that's like so far beyond where we need to be. No, see, Jesus is saying in this moment, no, 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 no. If you're not that, you're not rising to the challenge I'm putting in front of you. That's normal. You're not normal. You got to act like this. And what I want to do is we... Close out this morning. Is I, I, I wanna, we're going to have the band come up here, and we're going to transition into a time of musical worship here. And I want to look at one more story. And we've had this boat sitting on the stage. I want to look at a, a, one more interaction that Jesus had with Peter and the disciples. And the story goes like this. Uh, Again, they'd had a time and a lot of people around, and Jesus decided he needed some alone time with Jesus. He just needed to spend some time with God by himself. And so he tells the 12 disciples, hey, guys, let's get in the boat. You guys go get in the boat. You shove off and head across, head across the lake, and I'll catch up with you. 
And so he sends him out, and, and he goes to spend time alone with Jesus or with God, and he's, he's communing with God and praying. And the night comes, it's, uh, seem, according to Scripture, it seems to be about 3 o'clock in the morning, just before dawn. And Jesus looks out on the waters, and he sees the boat, and the boat's struggling because a huge gale force storm had blown into town. And the boat is being rocked and thrown, and, and, and so Jesus does what all of us would do. He decides he's going to go walk on water out to the boat, which seems cool, but here's the problem. The disciples look up, and they see Jesus coming out to them on the boat, and they freak. It's like, ah, it's a ghost. First, we're going to die by the waves, and then the ghost is going to kill us again, right? They're super freaked out by this whole experience, and Jesus realizes what's going on. And he calls out to them. He says, don't be afraid. It's me. All right? It's me. Don't worry. Boat's still going crazy. They're trying to keep the right end up and the right end down. And Peter, the spokesperson, <laughs> does whatever, what we would all would do as well. He says, okay, Jesus, if that's really you, call me to walk out to meet you. <laughs> and Jesus says, all right, come. Peter puts his feet over the edge into the water and begins his walk to Jesus. And everything is great. And then it says, but then he looked at the wind and the waves, and when he started focusing on that stuff, he began to sink. And so what is his first inclination? Jesus saved me. He calls out, and Jesus, of course, reaches out, grabs him, lifts him out of the water, and they walk back to the boat together, and they get in the boat, and the second they get in the boat, the waves die down, and everything's great. And when I hear that story, I've often heard how awesome it is that Peter trusted and he got out of the boat and then he took his eyes off Jesus and when he did, he started to fail. And that is absolutely a very powerful message of that passage. Absolutely. Keep your eyes on Jesus. But I don't know if you know, if you notice this, there were 11 guys who were watching Jesus from in the boat that didn't want to get out. They figured their best hope of salvation was staying in the boat because boats are designed to stay on top of water. And they're focusing on the waves, focusing on all the stuff that could take them under. So my question for you guys today, as Jesus lays out his high challenge of fully devoted dedication to following him, Super Christian weirdoness should be the norm. And he's calling you to that, and he's saying, Why don't you come out of the boat? Why don't you just step out, get on this water where it's dangerous? And here's what I want you to do I want you to take out that three by five card, get a pen, and you're going to write this statement. I want you to write this down. I'm getting out of the boat and I'm leaving you fill in the blank in the boat. I'm getting out of the boat and I'm leaving blank in the boat. And that blank is whatever is keeping you like the other 11 disciples from stepping out onto the water and accepting that challenge. Go ahead and write it right now. 
getting out of the boat. By the way, here's the thing. You guys are here, so I know that at some level, all of us are looking to deepen our relationship with Jesus and have a greater impact in this world. And so don't be flip about this. Take a minute. What is the Holy Spirit leading you to? What is Jesus saying to you in this moment? What's keeping you in this boat right now? You know, I, I, I don't know, for, for many of us, it may be a relationship that we know we're involved in that we need to not be involved in. For some of us, it may be reconciliation in a relationship we need. It may be a pursuit of the world. It may be behaviors that we're hiding that we know are wrong. Have you written that down? I want you to write this next sentence. I want you more. I want to follow you, Jesus. Sign your name. And then here's what I want you to do with this card. I want you to take it home this week. Find a place where you can keep it. If it's in a Bible or a book, hang it on your mirror or your fridge, whatever it is. When you get up in the morning, I want you to seek Jesus. And say, Jesus, I'm leaving. Remember that thing we talked about? I'm leaving it in the boat today, but I need your help. Right? I think I need your help. Slide out of bed, fall on your knees if you need. And move forward in that high challenge that he's putting in front of you. Pray with me. Lord, I, um, I confess that for me, I, I don't deny myself like I need to. I know I don't put the right cross on my back that I carry through town. that oftentimes I'm willing to, not unwilling to follow you to places I don't want to go. And all of those things keep me from accepting your challenge of loving you and being called to the center of your will, which is perfect. I just ask in this moment, you, you just reveal to us if there's something we need to know or something that we need to do. Just make that crystal clear. Help us understand completely what that is. Then I pray for your Holy Spirit to move into our lives with power and help us conquer the very things that are standing opposed to you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.